You're listening to Wellmade, a podcast from Lumi about the people and ideas that are shaping our patterns of consumption for the better. I'm your host, Stefan Ango. Nate Chekets, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You're the uh, founder of Roan. I'm. I don't know if this is weird to say, but I'm. I'm wearing your underwear as we speak. <laughs> <laughs> Do people walk up to you and say that? It is. Uh, to me, it's not weird. I've heard it so many times. I don't even think twice of it. Okay, good. Uh, but uh, but you know, maybe to the average person, they think that you know that's an interesting way to start a conversation. But I've had many conversations start that way. This relates to something we were just talking about before we started recording, but I have like a, um, I guess it's a diary. I don't know. It's, I, I think of it as a blog that only has me as a reader and it <laughs> right. has so many different explorations of different things. But one of the things that I've been doing for the past couple of years is trying to find the right t-shirt and the right socks and the right underwear. And it's like I have full-blown reviews of all these things, but I, I don't feel like <laughs> I need to release them to the world. And so right now, Roan is in the uh, trial for uh, underwear. It's going very well. Fantastic. Yeah, I, I re- I've been really enjoying them. Yeah, I'm laughing because, you know, I, I did not come from the world of clothing, uh, apparel. You know, obviously, I as a consumer, I wore clothing, but my wife laughs at me now because... I will, um, you know, especially when I see a guy running or training or somebody walks by and they're wearing an interesting piece of technical fabric, I'll be like, oh, wow, can I, can I see that? Can I, is that, is that a flat knot lock stitching, you know, or oh, wow. yeah. you, and, and, uh, she just laughs because she's like, I don't even, I don't even know you, who is this person who all of a sudden has this interest. So it's become so normal to uh to talk about these things and and to have even like very blatant conversations like tell me does it ride are you you know like are you uh, (laughs) what's the what's the comfort level here are you and you just get really very very comfortable having those conversations now imagine having those conversations internally with a product development team Mm. when you're talking about exactly how underwear feels fits but you you know it's kind of part of the process you go beyond underwear as well. So hopefully like not every conversation has to have that level of awkwardness maybe. But um, how do you describe Run these days? So we are a uh, men's performance lifestyle brand. And, you know, that might not be a category that uh, a lot of people think of. But really, we kind of consider ourselves everything from high performance technical clothing all the way through to what you might wear to work. And uh, we like to say that we can kind of handle 80% of, uh, of a guy's closet using the absolute best fabrics, timeless silhouettes, and just really, really high quality manufacturing methods. Now, you've done a lot of innovation on the technology side. I would love for you to describe that and, and how, how you do that as a startup. Yeah, well, there are a couple of things that we are known for. Um, the first is an innovation called Gold Fusion. The majority of fabrics that you wear, particularly technical and performance fabrics, have anti-odor treatment. And uh, most people don't know that 80% of odor is caused by effectively your skin, dead cells on your skin kind of flaking off into your clothing. It's, it's actually pretty gross. But that bacteria that builds up on your clothing causes kind of permanent odor adherence. And so what clothing companies do is they will spray down fabrics with pesticides effectively because pesticides are antibacterial and they will kill the clothing. 
But the challenge is one, these generally have what the FDA calls an acceptable level of toxicity, which is just, <laughs> should there actually be an acceptable level of toxicity hmm. um, is a really big question mark. And then two, the, I think the, the worst part of it is that it really wears off rather quickly. The industry standard is 15 to 20 washes. And so every time you wash a garment, you're losing more and more of that odor protection, if you will, which is why if you have you know, technical clothing that is more than, you know, call it a year old, you'll start to get that musky scent to it. You know, particularly non-cotton fabrics like polyester is, um, is notorious for getting smelly. And um, so we, we tried to attack both of those things. So Gold Fusion is a 100% non-toxic, eco-friendly solution that uses gold and silver nanoparticles to protect your garments from odor. And it's effective at 99 to 100 washes, it's still 98 plus percent effective against it. So the adherence is just unheard of. And we, we pioneered it. We kind of locked in the exclusive for it in, uh, in technical fabrics. And, you know, we, we tell people to put it to the test. It's, it really is like anything, un, unlike anything else in the market. And then, you know, I would say the other thing that we're really well known for is our commuter pant which is a pant that we launched that uses a warp knit fabric. So it has this really great stretch to it, but it's just extremely breathable and comfortable. It's made out of a bi-component yarn, meaning these two yarns are fused together. And as you move, the garment actually gets more air permeable. So it breathes unlike any other pant that you've ever put on. And it, it's funny now, we, we get so many brands kind of imitating this uh this pant and even some are just blatantly calling theirs uh the commuter pant but we were kind of the first to bring that to the market so you know we're we're obviously flattered by the uh by the imitation there now you launched almost uh six years ago five and five and a half years ago how did you figure out how to make these products and um the materials it, it seems like some of these things that companies like Nike or, or you know, maybe Patagonia or some of these companies are, have been doing, but they've been working on this for decades. How did you figure out how to do it so quickly? Well, I think, I think it's really two things. I mean, one, we did not come from the industry, which has its advantages and disadvantages. The advantage is we didn't really stop asking questions, nor were we limited by what we already knew, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, to some cases... We didn't understand why things worked a certain way, and we weren't limited just by our contacts within the industry. So Gold Fusion, for example, actually came from an agriculture solution that uh, we got put in touch with, and somebody said, I wonder if this could be used on textiles, and instead of kind of taking the approach of, no, 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 no that's, you know, that's impossible, we can't do that, it was, yeah, I have no idea, let's try it. And so I think kind of our openness and willingness to engage and try a lot of different things and, and throw a lot of things against the wall to see what sticks certainly helped. And then the other big thing is that because the majority of our business was built direct to consumer, we had a flexibility and a willingness as a company philosophy to engage in trying to prioritize making the best product over making a product that had super high margin that could be sold you know, primarily to wholesale channels. And, uh, and, and that gives us a lot more flexibility as well. If say some of these bigger brands need to make a 75, 80% wholesale margin and our wholesale margin is half of that, 
just imagine what more you can do for a product that's made at a similar price point. I, I'm curious, what was the agriculture application of um, this gold fabric? So essentially, crop disease is a huge problem in agriculture. It's ironic that we're talking about this now during kind of COVID-19 and, and uh, viruses, but uh, certain crops like corn or soybeans or whatever are subject to getting disease and can kill entire crops and they can spread really, really quickly. And so from a bacterial standpoint, there needed to be a solution that could kill bacteria without being toxic in any way to the crops or to the people that would eventually consume the crops. And so this was developed by an astrophysicist from the University of Utah and a biochemist. And essentially what they found is most nanoparticles or most particles in general um, are ionized, particularly silver. And the ions are, are part of what creates a, a level of toxicity. And so they found a non-ionized way to still produce these same particles. Hmm. And that was the revolutionary um, aspect of what they created. And um, these non-ionized uh, particles had broad-based applications. They're used in cleaning products. They can be used in toothpaste. And because they're non-ionized, they're completely non-toxic. In fact, the biggest challenge that, that they faced as they kind of started to develop this is the EPA, for example, wanted to test it. But by, you know, the way that they would, the EPA would typically test some of these things is they would need to be able to measure some level of toxicity. These were completely non-toxic. So then it just came down to actually measuring effectiveness. And so, yeah, we were, we were fortunate when we were looking at it that we said, you know, this is something that we want to test on textiles. It wasn't a big focus of theirs at the time. And because of that, we were able to kind of own that part of the application. We did an episode um, a few months ago. I'm looking it up. It's uh, episode 105 with the founder of uh, Pella, which is they make phone cases, but they invented a um, plastic, a bioplastic that uses flax scraps from the flax uh, industry, also an agricultural product. Right. And, yeah. and it's just kind of, I love when those cross pollination kind of moments can occur where you can bring something from a different industry and being on the lookout for those things is, I mean, it's, it's where a lot of innovation happens and those innovations are happening specifically for another industry, but can be brought over. And, and sometimes you can find some really interesting and unique things that differentiate your product. And I wonder, is that something that you're still on the lookout for? Or was that just a coincidence that you happened to meet with those people or how did that, how do you maintain that going forward? Yeah, I think, I think it's something that you have to be very, very conscious of because it's so easy as you begin to understand something to almost let yourself get complacent. The reason why, frankly, I think a lot of disruption comes from outside of industries because, you know, you, you don't know why something won't work. You know, I, I was thinking about this today as I was, I'm teaching my kids how to skateboard uh, during this kind of quarantine period. It's what they wanted to learn. And I'm realizing that as I've gotten older, my fear of falling is so much greater than when I was a kid because I've fallen so many times and I know how much it hurts. And so I'm trying to kind of retrain my brain to think like a child and almost have that innocence. And I think there are some, you know, I, uh, when I speak to college students and kind of aspiring entrepreneurs, I always say the same thing, which is 
you've got to embrace your ignorance. Most of the time we think about ignorance as an obstacle, as a challenge, as something that prevents us from having success. And yet in reality, in some ways it is, it's a real tool and it's an advantage. And so I think, you know, philosophically, we just have to remember that we don't know everything. And no matter how smart we get in any industry, there could be really great advances in other industries that we have to be open and just remain intellectually curious. Uh, it's something that I try and cultivate in myself and, and across our teams. And, you know, part of our mantra as a company is forever forward. We believe in forward progression and getting better. And, you know, that no matter where we are, we haven't kind of quote unquote arrived. Yeah, I love that that beginner's mindset kind of approach. And this comes maybe from, I went to school for industrial design and during that time, I was going to a lot of trade shows and all kinds of different trade shows, mm. including packaging, which I ended up falling into. But I remember going to a, a fashion trade show and right next door was a dentistry trade show. And I just <laughs> felt like there's probably lots of great things that are happening in dentistry that could actually be useful in fashion, but just nobody's cross-pollinating in any way. <laughs> yeah. And so like, it's just kind of like this box of Legos, like just like going to these different things and exposing yourself to new things and being a beginner again in new industries and new areas so that you can collect all these pieces and hopefully somehow put them back together someday. Right. There's that great Steve Jobs quote, and I'm going to totally butcher it, but effectively he said something, only those who are crazy enough to believe they can change the world are the ones that actually do. I think there's some real truth to that. If you, if you knew how hard something was, you wouldn't even get started. You wouldn't even take the first step. And by the way, every single industry is hard. Uh, I, I have yet to kind of find, you know, whether it's dentistry, I'm sure, or consumer uh, or electrical engineering, there's some complexity. And when you're outside of it, you, it's easy to oversimplify. And in some cases, that oversimplification allows you to get started, get some momentum. And as you start to encounter the obstacles, you know, you feel like you've got that, you know, sunk cost fallacy a little bit, but you just kind of start moving forward. And, um, you know, that's why I think, I think it is good to embrace that mindset. I thought you were going to go with, um, there's a great quote from his um, Stanford address that he did, which ever, I, I, I feel like I got to rewatch it. It was right after he was um, going through, I think the first yeah, bout of um, cancer. And um, he was saying something about you can't figure out how the dots will connect, but you're just first, like he described them as dots, but going to school and learning about typography. And he didn't know at the time that studying typography would end up being really pivotal to what they were doing with the Mac and, and the importance of like bringing typefaces to the Mac, for example. So that fits in as well. For the people who are listening to this in the future, uh, whenever, but we're recording this the beginning of April, we've uh, been all in quarantine here for the past few weeks, but you just launched something, Brands for Better. I mean, it's just been a few days, but I would love for you to describe what that is and why you launched it. Yeah, so it started because, you know, as we've been in quarantine, I just started thinking about what are the things that I, I can control and that serenity prayer almost and trying to focus on the things that I, I can control. And one of the things that I realized is look, it's going to be tricky right now. Consumer spending is down. People are going to stop spending. We do some distribution through wholesale. Um, you know, we're Equinox's number one men's brand and, and every single Equinox is closed right now. We, we have a big business with Nordstrom and all the Nordstrom doors are closed. 
we have five of our own retail stores and those are closed. And so how can we get creative and think about how to approach this? And as I was kind of reading the news and reading about how Amazon and Walmart were each adding 100,000 plus jobs and trying to keep up with the increase in demand, it became quickly apparent to me two things as I was kind of studying it. One, you had all of these amazing direct-to-consumer brands who were working really, really hard, not only to take care of their teams appropriately, take care of their customers and communicate appropriately, take care of their suppliers who would obviously be impacted by this, but also give back. And, you know, I kind of thought about, I've fallen in love with the world of consumer brands. um, And it sounds like you have as well. There's just so many great products. There's, There's obviously a lot of terrible products, but there's a lot of great brands who care so deeply about their product category and making the best. And it is so refreshing, I think, for someone who's, who grew up in the age of mass retail, where it felt like things were very much the opposite. It was, how can I get the highest margin and get the lowest price? Whereas it feels like the world is starting to shift back to, how can we make the best product and conscious consumerism? You know, how can I buy one really nice shirt that's going to last for a long time versus just buying the cheapest shirt that I can, et cetera? But in a rush to be to conserve capital and tightening wallets, which consumers are wont to do in, in periods like this, they started shopping at lowest common denominator platforms. And it's not just that they were shopping essentials, they were buying other things too. But a lot of these brands were being negatively impacted by that, and yet they were still doing good. And I, I just thought, okay, there's an opportunity to build a coalition of these amazing brands, try and give exposure to each other. You know, for example, this great women's handbag brand that makes these beautiful backpacks and handbags. Now, typically uh, a men's active apparel brand and a women's handbag company don't really have a reason to cross promote each other to our own email databases. But surely there are consumers in both of our groups that would likely purchase um, the other product either as a gift or, you know, um, uh, et cetera. And so it is kind of uniting to do that and working for brands who are trying to do good. So every brand in this coalition, we gathered 27 brands initially when we launched um, that represented more than a billion dollars in revenue. Every single brand is contributing to nonprofits associated with COVID-19, is giving a deal to consumers during this time who are trying to be conscious of their spending, is um, reporting back their proceeds to an agreed upon third party that we will kind of aggregate and show the impact that we're having. And four is working to help cross-promote and, uh, and support each other through knowledge sharing. And um, it's been incredible to watch. And we've, we've received a lot of just great inbound customer stories and um, press about it. And uh, we've even had some amazing big brands reach out and ask about how they can be part of it. We received 60 applicants in the first day when we launched. Wow, that's so cool. Yeah, and, and I see lots of brands here that uh, whose founders have been on the show, Greats, Cotopaxi, Rockets of Awesome, M. Jemmy, like lots of uh, great brands that folks know are are part of this. How how were you able to put this together so quickly? Well, I you know I certainly can't take all the credit. Um, we have one at Rome. We just have an amazing team, and I leaned on our own internal team to support. But I I also try to stay really in close contact with a lot of founders and CEOs. So. When I first came up with the idea, the first thing I did is I, I sat down and I made a list of 113 CEOs that I had at least met or knew or had some relationship with. 
And um, I decided to reach out to kind of 20 of the closest ones that I knew kind of the best. And I, I invited them to be a part of it. Then in a period of, uh, of three days, we put a site together. Um, a couple of the brands were excited about adding a few others. And, th- and then we launched. And we launched so quickly that, you know, I didn't reach out to, to half of the list. And I started getting a lot of, you know, semi-offended. <laughs> um, hey, what about me? <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Um, and, and great brands that I would have wanted to include, but just for speed purposes, didn't even, you know, didn't, didn't have, a, have a chance to. And so we're excited to add a lot of these brands in that are certainly having an impact and, and doing good. But I, I view this as beyond just COVID-19. I really want to find a way to reward and support brands that believe in better. You know, Cotopaxi is a great example. And Davis and I have known each other for a long time. But, you know, it's this idea of, of double bottom line businesses, of putting people above all else, you know, of trying to take care of team members and, um, and trying to take care of customers and trying to take care of suppliers. And we have been absolutely negatively impacted by this virus. We had to um, cut uh, our staff salaries across the board. I took a massive pay cut myself, sort of my co-founder. And one of the most amazing things is we did this so that we could reduce the amount of layoffs that we would have to make. And the most amazing thing is that our team has arguably never been happier or more supportive. And in what world would you ever give a pay cut and people, you know, employee satisfaction of compensation actually goes up. But I, I think it speaks to kind of the quality of brands that we have in our circle. And, um, and I think, you know, that's what we're all trying to do. How do you think it, it ends up? Um, you know, I mean, it's very early to say, but where do you see this six months from now or a year from now? Well, my hope is that, you know, that the coalition continues to exist and that we find ways to focus and concentrate our efforts on certain campaigns. So right now this campaign is focused on COVID-19, but for example, there could be future campaigns. You know, one of the things that I've been thinking about is while our business is being negatively impacted, you know, 75 plus percent of our revenues are from e-commerce. So what about retailers where 100 percent of their business is gone? Restaurants, Main Street stores. And is there a way for us to do something like e-tail for retail and, you know, giving back to retailers who are trying to get back on their feet? Now, Again, we're, we're not going to replace the federal government and, you know, we believe in sustainable business models. So these, these businesses can't simply give away in perpetuity all of their proceeds, but we do believe in doing good. And sometimes it's not even just about charitable giving. Sometimes it's about spreading awareness. You know, for example, I think every brand that is involved in the coalition today was very early on in encouraging customers, encouraging team members to engage in appropriate social distancing measures. You know, there are ways of, of having an impact that way too. You know, my hope is that the coalition continues to exist and that, you know, we're surrounding ourselves with brands that believe in doing good. There's so many different people who need help right now. I feel like it can be very difficult to decide how to have an impact. Where do you want to focus your energy? And I saw that you're working with Direct Relief. I don't know much about this organization, but how did you go about picking them and how did you decide where you wanted to focus your impact? Well, you know, I think part of the challenge is, is when you start talking about 30 CEOs and entrepreneurs who are all very passionate people, 
you realize the importance of setting a threshold and a bar to make sure that um, people are kind of giving back and contributing, but also allowing for enough flexibility that it's not, well, everybody has to be doing this and everybody has to be contributing to this cause. So what we decided to do is we said, look, as long as you are giving back two plus percent of your net sales or 10 percent of plus of your proceeds to a nonprofit that is kind of supporting COVID-19 relief efforts, then that would qualify. And, um, you know, Roan chose direct relief because we're kind of most mindful of frontline medical workers right now. That's kind of who we're thinking about the most at this time. These amazing men and women who are on the front lines every single day battling this and in places like New York City, which is very close to us and and that we think a lot about, uh, you know, just what these what these people are going through. And so that's why we picked them. But for others, you know, it was no kid hungry and, you know, kind of the the hunger issues um, facing uh, those that are impoverished right now. And that was really important and meaningful for them or they already had an existing relationship. And so, you know, by the end of this, this coalition will, um, will certainly get to the point where we've donated more than a million dollars to these types of relief efforts. I mean, can you measure the, the response? It's only been a few days, right? How have customers responded to that? Well, you know, I think it's, I think it will be hard to fully measure kind of what the net customer impact is. And I was pretty upfront with people. I said, my hope is that in doing this, there are customers who are going to shop more consciously and will come and um, choose to shop at, uh, at you that might not otherwise, or become aware of you through this effort that might not otherwise, but that's not why we're doing this. We're doing this because um, you know, there's strength in, in numbers and, um, and we want to kind of maximize our ability to give back. You know, I can speak only from Roan that we certainly have um, received a lot of customer engagement and feedback, both from existing and new customers who have said, you know, we're really supportive of this initiative and this idea of conscious consumerism that, you know, we want to support you during this time. We've had, we've had customers reach out and say, you know, we know you're offering a discount, but we want to pay full price to let you know that we're supporting you right now. Anecdotally, qualitatively, not quantitatively, I think we're certainly seeing an impact. It'll take some time to understand quantitatively how much that impact has been. I think everybody who's listening probably has received just over the past few weeks, like at minimum 50 emails from every uh, website that they've visited, something about sure. COVID. And how do you figure out how to do you know, relay that message in a way that feels appropriate to the time. And everybody's dealing with this situation in, in a different way. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny. When when we first kind of started getting into this period of quarantine and uh, I started receiving a lot of these emails as well, I admit, um, and I don't mean this to be critical to other, other brand leaders because I think everybody was doing their best, but I got those messages of, you know, hey, our team's working from home or, you know, we've closed our stores and they felt to me very overly self-important and not really thinking about me as a, as a consumer. We were very intentional to not send that message. You know, the team kind of started getting nervous and saying, Hey, all these emails are going out. Um, you know, we can, we, we drafted this, you know, we want to send this email and, you know, organizationally, we've always taken the approach of putting our customers needs above our own and trying to think about them in our communication. And so what we decided to do instead of sending an email that told you about us, 
we decided to send an email that was very much for you, the customer. And so the subject line was not another COVID-19 email. And we started with, you know, if you're interested to understand the measures that we've taken, you can click here and you can under, you know, you can kind of see what we've done. And if you clicked through, it would, it would walk you through, you know, we've closed our stores, we've encouraged our team to work from home, we've closed our offices, you know, we believe in social distancing, da, 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 da. But then we said, you know, but this is about you. Everybody's life is facing disruption. So here's four things that we've, um, we've done to try and add some value in your lives right now. The first was that we um, shared a piece that C.S. Lewis wrote during the time of the atomic bomb and shared some perspective that um, we, we thought was very powerful and relevant and would resonate with people. The second thing is we included 30 days of workout from home and a schedule you know, that would, and we were really, really early on in this. And it's been amazing to see how many people are doing um, kind of live workouts, but, you know, a, a schedule of streaming of live workouts. The third thing we did is we shared streaming uh, recommendations. We knew that people were going to have a lot more free time and might try and figure out what to watch. And instead of spending 40 minutes trying to decide, we would kind of try and do some of that upfront work. And the fourth thing was um, some recipes that you can kind of make from home. And again, we just try to think about it as what can we do to add value to their lives versus, hey, let us tell you about us. And I think that resonated, well, I know that resonated really well. We received over 100 inbound kind of uh, messages through social media and other forms just saying how, how appreciated, how much customers appreciated um, that email. Yeah. I, and I think that um, it's, been, it's been a polarizing time in the sense that you you can see which ones have have figured out how to speak to to people in this empathetic way and and which ones haven't and are sort of i don't know i guess tone deaf sounds maybe too far in 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 one direction but it, it does feel like there are some companies who are not necessarily figuring out what's the right way to to to, to speak to people and also I, I i heard you talking about this before but you don't want to completely stop talking no. to people because no. then it's like <laughs> perpetuating this sort of cycle that we find ourselves in where i mean especially for for those of us who maybe live in bigger cities we're seeing all of our our favorite restaurants and and bars and places right. you know who are really struggling right now there's a lot of small businesses who are dealing with this how do we make sure that we <laughs> remember to uh, be patrons to them yeah i mean uh, so I, I feel really strongly about this point, and I think, it's, I think it's so important. I know in one of our emails when we were kind of saying, hey, we're still going to move forward with uh, new product launches because, you know, there are people that are still shopping, and we have teams. We have a team of people that we need to support, and we have suppliers that we need to support. And I think we got uh, three messages inbound that said, you know, this is tone deaf. People are dying right now. People are sick. And, um, you know, it's so insensitive for you to send an email like this. And I, you know, I, I work closely with our customer experience team. And, you know, when there are these kinds of messages, I, you know, I want to make sure that we respond appropriately. But what I tried to share is, look, if we decide to stop communicating, if we decide to, you know, to kind of turn off marketing, which by the way, works, then what that does is it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, we are putting ourselves in a place where we are putting the people that we care about at risk. We're putting our teams at risk. 
We're putting our customers kind of longevity and our ability to continue to innovate at risk. And we're putting our suppliers at risk. And, you know, I think the best thing we can do is continue to contribute um, however we can. You know, by the, by the end of this, we will, as a brand, donate probably in excess of $100,000 to direct relief efforts that, you know, is providing frontline PPE to the people who, who matter the most on the front lines of medical workers. And that is really, really meaningful to us. But we're able to do that because we are continuing to focus on growing and selling and marketing. And so, you know, I understand why people feel this way. I feel absolutely sick to my stomach when I think about the amount of people that died in my favorite city on earth today, this day. And you think about how many people died. But that doesn't mean I'm not doing anything to help anyone by saying we're going to, you know, we're going to turn off marketing. That doesn't make the world better. What I can do is I can continue to stand up, encourage our company to continue to operate and make sure that we have a business model that will sustain our team and can continue on after this. Yeah. And I think maybe one silver lining of all of this is I've been the people, the interactions that I've had with, with people have been so much deeper and more I don't know, empathetic human than ever. Yeah. <laughs> All of the conversations that I have, even if it's on my, uh, you know, runs to the grocery store, uh, my mission to the grocery store every, you know, once in a while, um, you know, the, the conversations that we have are so much deeper and more, more meaningful in a way. And I, and I, I wonder if there's something there that will stick. I'm not, I'm not sure, but I hope so. Yeah. I, there, Somebody um, sent me a great quote that said, effectively, in the rush to return to normal, we should consider which parts of normal we want to rush back to. Mm. And I thought that was so profound because, look, there are some silver linings here. The, the truth is, is that there's very little black and white in our lives. And yes, this is terrible in many, many ways. But simply dwelling on the, the terribleness of it would kind of force us to miss these silver linings and how human people are being and also the amazing creativity that is coming out of it and the opportunity that we have to spend uh, more time with those that we, we care the most about. You know, there's, I don't know if you've ever seen that chart that shows your um, life in, in weeks as boxes and no. you realize how little time you get with those that you care about. And we are decidedly, spending we're we're changing the chart so to speak because of the extra hours in the day that we're getting to to be with these people i can't think of any situation where giving up hope and focusing on the negative has made the situation better i just i can't think of a single one so i think i think it's important to maintain a sense of hope you know a sense of realism but a sense of hope and continue to look for those positives yeah it's it's i can't think of another time in history really where we've had this like collective global consciousness around <laughs> first of all what actually is essential uh on a day-to-day basis and also we've got this this shared enemy for the lack of a better word in this disease and right, yeah. and we're all i think every single person is on the same page about the fact that this is <laughs> the highest priority and that and that we need to we need to solve this and and yet, I, one thing, one comment that I was making on Twitter is is that um, we still 
are taking so much for granted. Even right now, I feel like I, you know, I'm where you and I are <laughs> talking on Skype, you know, knock on wood, we're, we're, we're healthy. We, we are not like a lot of people are still in healthy condition, having electricity and water come into their, <laughs> to their yeah. homes and all these different kinds of situations. It's like, there's still a lot to be grateful for even in this time. So I think about that a lot in my <laughs> darker times of like reading the news and feeling pretty depressed. Yeah. I mean, I think that that is one of the challenges is almost the dichotomy of it all. Right. Um, you know, you hear about these, these dark days and the difficulties that um, so many are facing. And then you, you know, you're thinking to yourself, well, you know, the sun's shining outside, I'm healthy and I made a good meal. And, um, and I think there's, you know, there's risk in that, right? Because people get comfortable and, and, uh, and, and make bad decisions. But I think there's been far more good than bad in terms of the way people are reacting. And um, I almost think that for the very first time, we're using the internet the way mm. and kind of this global connection the way we should, because we've accelerated some trends. Like my in-laws were telling me that they've ordered groceries online for the first time ever. They never thought that they would would do that. And so, you know, while grocery uh, online ordering was predicted to, to scale over the next five years, we pulled some of that forward. I think there will be some lasting positive impacts. You know, the, the amount of people who can work from home, I think we're realizing how capable the technology is and how capable people are to be able to do that, where most of us have been in some of these legacy models that we haven't been, you know, changing habits is hard. And, you know, it's, so much less of the trolling and hiding behind the internet as much as it is, you know, there's still some of that, but, but there's been so much more positivity and support, you know, comments that the stuff we're seeing on social has just been awesome. Like just awesome, the support. And, um, and I, I think it, to me, it's made me feel more connected to, to people outside of my everyday interaction than I did before. Yeah. Well, I would love to have you back on to go deeper on <laughs> Roan at some point when things stabilize a little bit. But uh, this was amazing. And I, um, I hope everyone goes to brandsxbetter.com to check out what you've been up to. If people are listening who um, are founders of, of companies, are you accepting new brands? How can people apply if they want to be part of it? Right on the site, there's a, there's a button to apply. And, um, you know, as long as brands are meeting the criteria, our intention is to make this as inclusive as possible. You know, we started out with um, brands that we knew more consumers would know and that we knew could kind of mobilize quickly. But the net net of this is if you feel like you believe in a double bottom line and you, you know, you want to put people kind of as your top priority, you know, then we encourage you to apply. And Stefan, I, I want to say thank you to you for having me on and, um, and for, you know, it's clear that you're the type of person who believes in this, uh, this type of world and, and doing, and doing good and, and focusing on creating things in a better, more sustainable way. And so I appreciate the chance to get to know you and, uh, and for having me on. <laughs> well, thank you. And thank you for making those underwear, five stars, uh, <laughs> underwears. Um, so if, if someone's out there, uh, in there <laughs> haven't had a chance to do the laundry or something like that, uh, and you need some, uh, some extra pairs, um, go, go to Roan.com and uh, R-H-O-N-E and check out everything and you'll know that some of the proceeds are going to, to good causes. So thank you so much, Nate. 
Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Love to have you back on someday. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, if you got something useful out of it, I would love to hear what that was. Consider writing a short review, could be just a sentence long, by going to iTunes and searching for Well Made. I want to hear it all. I want to hear good, bad. I want to hear your constructive criticisms. I am just trying to make this show as useful as possible for you. So tell us what you think. That is the very best way that you can support the show. Thanks, and see you next time.